Governor J.B. Pritzker unveils a sweeping piece of energy legislation while also signing a major health care reform bill. A new report faults his administration's handling of a COVID-19 outbreak at the LaSalle Veterans Home, and a pandemic-related housing assistance bill will soon head to the governor's desk. We'll talk about all that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and with me here today is our State House Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki, as well as reporters Sarah Manser, Raymond Troncoso, and Tim Kersininkis. It has been a busy week at the State House in Springfield, so let's dive right into it, starting with Jerry. Governor Pritzker came into office after campaigning on an environmental platform that included a call for Illinois to start transitioning to a clean energy economy. We're now into his third year in office, and this week he actually laid out a pretty comprehensive bill, something like 900 pages. Can you give us the highlights? Yeah, so what the governor's, I think, trying to do is sort of tie up one of the major policy uh, initiatives that went uh, unfinished his first year in office. So some of the highlights, you know, it it, it, uh, provides about $70 million annually to Exelon, which is the parent company of Commonwealth Edison, which is, of course, ridden in scandal with, uh, they were entered a deferred prosecution agreement saying that they tried to essentially bribe the former Speaker of the House, Michael Madigan, but the governor's office says, you know, we should give Exelon whatever is needed to keep the uh, nuclear power plants open and nothing more. So they consider nuclear to be clean energy um, It's in the fact that it's not carbon emitting. Um, so that's going to have to be just a major, major piece of the uh, administration getting to 100% clean energy by 2050 which is a goal in the bill. And then 40% would be renewables, which is wind and solar and such. So um, they need the nuclear plants and Exelon would get that uh, subsidy under their plan. But of course there's 10, who knows how many, uh, I can't keep track of them all. There's more energy proposals from other uh, interests such as coal, there's a greater push for uh, greener energy and the Clean Energy Jobs Act. There's a Climate Union Jobs Act. Um, but the governor's bill takes a little bit from all of them, uh, including um, trying aiming to get 1 million uh, electric vehicles on the roads in the next uh, decade or so uh, by uh, pushing the widespread adoption of charging stations through state grants and such. But the, the list goes on and on, Peter. Now, the, those subsidies you mentioned for Exelon, it seems like in 2019, uh, Pritzker's first year in office, uh, we were just sort of hearing about the federal investigation uh, involving a lot of Commonwealth Edison people. And it just seemed like there were a lot of lawmakers who didn't want to get anywhere near Commonwealth Edison at that time. Um is that still kind of a sticking point? Are people uh, afraid to go down that path? That's a good point, Peter. Uh, there's a number of 
um, sort of utility accountability provisions. I should have mentioned earlier, Exelon is required to be audited uh, by an outside auditor. Uh, some One of the state departments would commission an outside auditor to audit the company each year to make sure those subsidies are necessary. There's a phase out of certain uh, formulaic rate increases that allow the utilities to increase rates without really going before regulators. So there's... Uh, there's some other utility accountability measures in there too. I think uh, I got a nine page summary of that bill. I think there was about 15 bullet points for the accountability measures. Um, I don't have it in front of me right now, but there, there were quite a few. So uh, he's been praised for that, um, for including that. But you know, in these negotiations, we don't know what's going to have to come out for it to gain the necessary votes, which is um, 30 in the House or 30 in the Senate, 60 in the House. Now, one of the things, and we talked about this earlier, I think, about uh, in Illinois, you tend to see these huge multi-hundred-page bills uh, that essentially try to remake the world, you know, in one piece of legislation. This is a 900-page bill, 900, give or take, um, and we're now entering the last month of the session. Uh, May 31st is supposed to be the last regular last day of the regular session. Do you think they can get it done in one month? Uh, I think we've seen with like, uh, for example, in the lame duck session with the, uh, the stuff, the black caucus, um, the four pillars that they got through, I think three of them passed in the lame duck session. So that, yeah, the, the lawmakers can get things done quickly. They've shown it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be a decent hour at which they pass. But uh, I, I would think there's enough, there's enough interest to where you could, Everybody could get a little bit and, and sign on to a bill uh, that they're, that's to their, maybe not entirely to their liking, but they're willing to vote for. Um, so, And one of those key provisions that I haven't mentioned thus far is a increase on the rate cap on ratepayer bills to fund greater renewable projects. And the, the rate would go from about 2% to 3.75%. Uh, and the advocates call that uh, one cup of coffee for each electric bill. Okay. Uh, so now I want to turn to Sarah here for a little bit. Uh, we were just talking about Governor Pritzker's 2018 campaign. One of the other highlights of that was his harsh criticism of then-Governor Bruce Rauner over an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease at a veteran's home in Quincy. But now, under Governor Pritzker's administration, we've seen outbreaks of COVID-19 at other veterans' homes. And a new report just came out Friday that was critical of his administration's handling of that. Uh, what can you tell us about the report and how serious is this? Yeah, so today the um, Department of Human Services Office of Inspector General um, released a report that basically said that there were um, widespread failures across the department and the uh, individual home at LaSalle. Um, so they, the home itself did not have any specific policies before COVID happened to deal with an outbreak. Um, and then when the outbreak at LaSalle happened and when, when the pandemic happened, um, the staff at the home was not given proper training or education about PPE, and there were a lot. There were a lot of communication failures, 
and um, other protocol compliance failures. And um, so the report documents um, a, a number of, of leadership failures as well, that the home administrator was not um, supervising and overseeing what what um, non-compliance was happening there. And um, but I think the biggest the biggest issue was was not having the policies in place when the outbreak occurred, and and that was something that had been uh, recommended when when the Quincy outbreak happened. And so now lawmakers, especially Republican lawmakers, are pointing to that um, that incident and saying that you know those. Um, recommendations had been called for and Governor Pritzker's administration didn't carry them out. Okay. And these homes are run by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the State Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, the outbreaks there and the handling of it resulted in a change of leadership at that agency. And then at that news conference on Friday, uh, he was asked about that, and he actually said that uh, if he had known then what he knows now, he never would have hired that former director, which is not something you often hear from a chief executive. Uh, so to what extent uh, does this indicate really how politically serious this is? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I think a lot of – so uh, uh, Linda Chapalavia – was a uh, lawmaker in the House for many years and a Democrat, and um, she's a veteran. But I think some people would argue that she was appointed to that position because of those political connections and connections to the administration rather than her qualifications to lead and um, and his, um, you know, his comments today seem to support that okay and so now i want to turn to raymond now uh you have been following the legislative black caucuses agenda pretty closely and this week we finally saw the fourth and final pillar of that agenda the health care reform and equity pillar uh signed into law first of all can you recap what's in that bill Yes, so the bill contains dozens of provisions. It's a pretty massive bill, over 200 pages. And basically, it seeks to expand health care for low-income and rural residents. And that includes, uh, you know, expanding Medicaid coverage, uh, providing more support for community hospitals, as well as a new type of health care worker, um, considered a community healthcare worker, which will now act as a coordinating bridge between social programs and healthcare services. It puts a moratorium on hospital closures, and it creates several commissions for studying not just uh, how we can improve healthcare, but also studying violence as a healthcare issue in Illinois. Okay, yeah, it does declare violence to be a public health crisis, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. And so you know, for the ordinary person, I guess, wondering how big of a deal is this? Are we actually going to see a change in either the way healthcare is delivered or in the quality of healthcare we, we receive? Or is this more about trying to level the playing fields to uh, guarantee that everybody has access to healthcare? 
Well, that really depends on how much funding the bill actually gets. Uh, a lot of the things in this legislation are subject to appropriations, and Republicans have pinned the price tag for it somewhere between $5 billion and $12 billion. Now, this, this provision or this legislation doesn't work at all if it doesn't get any money. Um, and depending on how much funding it gets and what specific measures get funding, you could see significant increase in access to mental health services, to, uh, you know, maternal care, um, elderly care, uh, care for patients suffering from dementia, for example. But all of that really depends on what the General Assembly can agree on. Okay. And last but not least, this week we saw another bill that actually made it through both chambers and will soon be headed to the governor's desk. This had to do with emergency housing assistance. Tim, you've been following that legislation. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so this is a piece of legislation that's actually been around for quite a while. It was introduced during last year's abbreviated session at the outset of the COVID pandemic, uh, again, during the lame duck session. And then uh, now finally, after all this time, has now passed both uh, both chambers this session. Uh, Basically, uh, the bill aims to uh, provide a vehicle for the federal funding that has been made available for rental assistance in the state and prioritizes uh, individuals across the state who are most in need of rental assistance. Uh, And this includes areas that are uh, disproportionately impacted by uh, high rates of homelessness or uh, high rates of rental arrears and, and things of that nature. Yeah, and uh, that seemed to be kind of a sticking point for Republicans. They weren't really happy uh, with the way that was written. And the implication, I think, was that it's really steering the bulk of the money uh, toward Chicago and not to other parts of the state. Uh, Do you think that's the case? Does it give too much preference for Chicago? Or will this, as the Democrats say, actually be available uh, on an equal basis statewide? So that's what I asked. Um, I actually had the opportunity to speak with Representative uh, Delia Ramirez, who has worked on this legislation uh, since its inception. Uh, And she said that really that language exists in there just to encourage the Illinois Housing Development Authority, which will be the administering state agency for these funds to prioritize those individuals. However, it is not a requirement to receive the funding. So both uh, Omar Aquino, while speaking on the bill on the floor, as well as Ramirez reiterated that anyone is eligible for that funding. However, those individuals will be prioritized under this legislation. And are we pretty confident that the governor intends to sign this? That's that's been the question. He was asked about it at a press conference uh, a, a little earlier in the session. Um, he said that a large part of the uh, uh, whether or not the eviction moratorium that he has issued uh, successively will be extended it will be dependent on those federal funding. Uh, but I think that now that we have the federal funding confirmed and now we have this vehicle package that will administer the funding. Um, I would suspect that uh, now that it's been prioritized by both chambers of the General Assembly uh, passed one of the first bills of the session to pass both chambers, I think we have a pretty good chance of seeing this bill uh, coming to fruition here. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that announcement. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, on behalf of the whole news team here, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.